HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by The Green Grape and the New York Women's Culinary Alliance. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Restaurant delivery sales totaled $43 billion last year. We're going to need a lot of tech to drive those sales. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, hopefully, most of them, all of them, are tuning in to Tech Bites, the show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Today, we have a full studio using all the mics and even people sharing headphones. That's how many folks we've got in the studio today. We will go around the room like we always do, talking about apps, apps we love, new ones we've just discovered, old ones that have been living on our phones for years and years and years. The only rule is you cannot talk about an app that you own, have developed, or invest in. I'm looking at all the startup guys. <laughs> we will start off with Mission Control, our trusty engineer, Vitor Hirsch. Vitor, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm the the other David. <laughs> well, or, or you can be the Vitor. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yes. Not Belfort, though. Not Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you who are faithful listeners, you will remember that when Vitor first started um, engineering the show, I being a fan of MMA, I used to announce him as Vitor Belfort and didn't even realize <laughs> it until a few episodes in, he was like, um, do you like to watch MMA? And I said, yes. How do you know? Have we talked about this? And he said, because my name's not Vitor Belfort. <laughs> he's a great fighter though. I like him. So yeah, you know, yeah. he's a winner. Yeah. Um, he's a strong guy, so it's not bad to be associated, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway. Do you have an app for us? Maybe fight-related? Uh, not fight-related, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, this past weekend, I was actually putting up uh, shelves at home. And I used the iHandy Level app a lot. It's oh. just a little, you know, simple level app. And it works great and makes your life so much easier if you have a level to put up a shelf, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, those kinds of little things that they think of very helpful. I actually downloaded one of those years ago for the exact same reason. Yep. Cool. Okay. Which one was it? iHandy. And you are on an iPhone or an Android? iPhone. iPhone. Okay. Yep. Perfect. And I'm assuming it's free. Yep. Okay. So for all your uh, spring cleaning handy needs. Correct. Also joining us today in the studio is Vishal Agawal. He is the founder of a company called Checkmate. Vishal, thank you for coming. Thank you. Do you have an app that you like right now? One of my favorite apps right now is uh, Calendly. Okay. 
And uh, the amazing thing is it's become the default way for people to get in touch with us. It's not via email, not via text, not via group chat. I actually put up my Calendly link on my website. So Calendly, for people who don't know, is a calendar scheduling app. Right. Um, they have an app. They have a website. It's f they have a free version. They have a free version, yes. And then and multiple paid versions, version. paid, paid versions, depending on how many meetings and how many people you want to have. And it's actually pretty useful. It's really, like, it's cut down my emails. Let's say if we want to schedule a meeting, right? You would email me saying what time slots you're available. I would email you back. Oh, this doesn't work. Can we do this? Then I send you an invite. I don't do all of that. It, it cuts at least four to five email interactions per person. Yes, I agree. Best 10 bucks I spend a month. <laughs> so spell that for us, because I recall it has an unusual spelling, as many of the new tech appy things do, because traditional spelling is often already taken. Yes, it's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y, Calendly. Okay, okay. Um, it's pretty good. I use it occasionally. My problem with it is that my schedule fluctuates so much, it's really hard for me to plan out a regularly occurring timetable of times when I'm free. So I used it for a little while, but then I realized that because week to week my schedule always changes, it, mm. was, it was hard. But okay. I agree. Scheduling meetings is a big time suck. It's, it's just something that I've learned to be more disciplined about because if I keep my Google Calendar updated, it syncs to my Calendly. So it's forced me to be more disciplined. For example, if I'm coming here, I need to put a one-hour travel time. Right. And I need to put that in my calendar, otherwise someone will schedule a time with me. Right. So just... So it keeps you organized things. also. Definitely. Excellent. So it's a win-win. Yes. Also in the studio today, we have Rohan Dougal, who is co-founder of EpiFruit, which is a delivery app service, which we'll get into later. Rohan, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Do you have an app that you like right now? Well, the apps that I typically use are for work-related purposes. So, for instance, right now I'm using an app called Homebase, which is an application that allows me to schedule. It's basically a time clock. It's a virtual time clock that allows me to uh, give people time as far as their uh, schedule goes, allows me to communicate with them faster, and it allows me to upload their hours to my payroll processing a lot more efficiently. So it's a uh, time management for staff. Absolutely. Okay, so not time management like for your personal efficiency. <coughs> no, it's um, more of a corporate enterprise. Yes, thing. exactly. Okay. I, every, you know, most of the stuff that I use is mostly for work. My uh, personal life is more chaotic, so I just let it kind of be. <laughs> well, there's an app for that. We, that's but that's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is sitting next to his co-founder Bulen Marden. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Do you have an app that you're really using a lot right now that you really love? Yeah, um, it's not an app that everybody would use or not think about, but it's called LastPass. And um, I have a security background, and I think this is important because people mismanage their passwords or write them down on a piece of paper and they get stolen. So this is a great um, product in terms of managing your passwords for, for various logins. Well, LastPass and some other password apps are things that we talk about every time we talk about your own personal internet security. Right. I mean, I think every time there's a story in the news about a hack, a theft, a security breach, people get a little panicky about their personal email security, their personal digital phone, all of that. And one of the easiest bestest ways to keep yourself safe in the digital world is to have good passwords and to change them frequently. So something right. like LastPass will help you do that. Exactly. And it's a free app also, if I recall. It's free, yeah. Okay, so LastPass. Get, get some safety going in your area. Also joining us, special guests today, we have Katie Mosman-Walder, who is Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. So sit up straight, folks. The boss is here. I think that applies to me, too. I'm going to sit up a little straighter. <laughs> Thank you for having us in today. And she's also sitting with Hannah Forden, who is our membership coordinator. She's the nice lady who asks everyone for money because we're a nonprofit. Yes, you'll recognize me from your inbox. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> they are here, um, and we'll talk about it in a minute, to promote a brand new 
Heritage Radio Network news show that's going online this week, which is called Meet N3. But before we get to that, Katie, you have an app that you like right now? Um, yeah, mine's really a throwback. This is uh, something that I think most people have probably heard of, if not used, uh, sometime in the last, I don't know, 10 years. Um, the one I've been using a lot lately is the Couch to 5K running app. Okay. Um you know, I, I definitely, this is like a program you can download, um, you know, just like lists of instructions, but there's this companion app. Basically, it's an interval trainer for um, people who suck at running like me. Um, so the problem is that whenever I try to go for a run on my own, I overdo it and then I'm really miserable and then I hate running and I never want to run again. And so I really, really like this one because it's so easy and like, it's like jog for a minute walk for a minute and a half, jog for a minute. So it's like super low key. I feel great. And it's really, um, it's nice to have someone kind of like there with you, um, in your ear as you're listening to your music, it kind of pipes it down and tells you like, Hey, start running. Um, and you can choose like different trainers. So you can have this deranged unicorn character telling you what to do. You can have, uh, a sweet, uh, you know, friendly lady. You can have a drill sergeant type. Um, so there's really a lot of variability, but it's like, it's so, it's such a simple, simple thing, but it's really making me feel like I accomplished something and I'm really not overdoing it. It's really easy. At least in the first, I'm on week three. It's been super chill and I'm really enjoying it. I don't know if it's because we're just starting to get to nice weather now or if because there are um, 5K and other, you know, sort of half marathons and things like that scheduled to be coming up, you know, in the summer. But I've seen quite a few people talking about couch to 5K. And that basically means you spent the entire winter or past few years on the couch and now you're going to get up and train for a 5K race. But I think the yeah, thing I mean, that you... I do other things too, but but it's just been like running is never has never been something that I I yeah, like, and not I'm not like training for anything. But like I definitely have cabin fever. We had so much rainy weather, and of course now it's back. But New York had a weird unspring, and I just want to be. Out. I run on the East spring. River path, and it's so beautiful, and I just want to be out there all the time. The, one of the huge mistakes that people make when they just start exercising or working out or getting back to it is you're absolutely right. They go bananas mm -hmm. and just like blow themselves out and injure themselves. So I think having a plan that sort of allows you to gradually and gives you the the um, support and rationale to like gradually move into something is ultimately much better for you and, and creates much longer lasting fitness mm -hmm. yeah i hate running though i jump rope yeah yeah hannah do you have an app that you like right now i do it is definitely not fitness related perhaps <laughs> the opposite but it definitely ties into one of my big interests um and it's uh new to me um they recently started partnering with heritage radio um and the app is called vivino um, and it's a really great resource i know i am always going out to eat and trying new wines and then my goldfish brain immediately forgets the wine. Because you're drinking I... wine. Exactly. It's funny how that happens, isn't I, it? I don't know if it's the goldfish or the wine. <laughs> right. So it's a way that you can kind of like keep track of wines you like. You can scan um, labels when you're at the wine shop and kind of get a flavor profile, information on it. You can do the same thing for wine lists in a restaurant. And then it ties into um, a shop where you can also order wine. So it's kind of like one-stop wine uh extravaganza. So I've been finding that really fun and useful recently. Is it for iPhone and Android or just one or? I have an iPhone. I'm pretty sure it's available for both. Um, and spell it for us? Yes. So it is spelled V-I-V-I-N-O. And it's free. Um, there is, you know, there are shopping options in it, but the basic level is, is nice and free. Yeah, you know, one of the very first episodes we did of Tech Bytes back in 2015, people. <laughs> this is episode 137. Um, but one of them was we did some of the wine app technology. And it might be time to circle back to that. Because um, three years in app time is like decades in terms of the leaps and bounds that technology makes. Definitely. I think consumers like are getting more and more curious about where everything on their table comes from and the story behind it. So they are, yeah. and we're going to get into the delivery piece of it, but they don't seem very interested in 
the transparency of the transactions they make for convenience, like apps and delivery. Ah, yes. Anyway, (laughs) so the two of you are here to talk about Meet in Three, which is a little bit of a landmark for Heritage in that this is a completely produced new show. We are doing a live show right now. We have five people sitting in a shipping container talking and Heritage Radio, the sound of HRN is very much uh, Roberta's pizza background with live conversation. Um, So Meet and Three is a little bit different because it's produced and edited like a news magazine. Yeah, so we're super excited about this. We're calling it a square meal for your ears because what we wanted to do was offer something that's in a condensed time. 15 minutes, It's 15 minute episodes. And we want to be able to give a snapshot of really what's, what's on our minds from the HRN office because we're living and breathing food related stories all day, every day. And so we wanted to have an opportunity to tell some very condensed version of these stories while also being a place that people who are new to the network or who maybe just aren't able to listen to all 35 of our weekly shows um, can get directed and discover some of the other podcasts on our network um, so that, you know, they can kind of easily get into a a curated set of content that they're going to be interested in. But we really wanted something that was quick and um, entertaining and has a lot of different types of of stories included. So the name is a play on the Southern restaurant, the meat and three sides concept. And so we offer every week, it's going to be a deep dive into a particular news or culture story, and then three shorts. And we're trying to um, keep the shorts. They're, they're all very, very loosely tied to a theme, but we're trying to offer a few funny stories, a few things that are going to be really challenging to think about policy and politics. And then, um, you know, also making sure that we are, um, you know, including a lot of different voices. So the, the voices that you'll hear are HRN staff, there are interns as well as the hosts. They might be guests who've been on other shows during the week. Um, so we're really, really excited about this as sort of like a a super condensed version of um, kind of HRN at a glance. Cliff notes. Exactly. Yeah. Audible cliff notes. Yeah. And it's great because it's really accessible. I don't think a listener necessarily has to have a super in-depth food background because we're kind of using the experts within our community um, and in the world at large to kind of help to educate us as the reporters and as the hosts. And we kind of bring the listener along with us as we're learning about these topics. So you don't have to have any background and it's it's just really easy to listen to and absorb. So this week is... Pork? Is that the theme for yeah, this week's so, show? Um, this week, episode two is coming out tomorrow, Friday, May 18th. And the theme is pork. And uh, this is one of our kind of more literal themes. Uh, this week, we're talking about um, the farm bill, of course. Um, and there's a, a little pun that we put in there, which is we, we talk a little bit about legislative pork, uh, pork barrel <laughs> politics. And so we're getting into, you know, the, the new version of the farm bill has really like just come out and there's going to be a lot more conversation about this. But we're just scratching the surface of what is pork barrel politics and what are we on the lookout for? Um, we're also talking about how a group of pitmasters and restaurateurs are helping out uh, to put small scale pig farmers back to work in Alabama. We're talking about the perfect BLT. And we are talking about, importantly, the Chinese pork tariffs and how uh, they're going to affect could us. Do a what the heck is going on, on there? American agriculture and those mm-hmm. Chinese tariffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Crazy. So th- that's kind of a more literal episode. The episode that came out last Friday is um, some stories that are a little more loosely tied to a theme. So episode one, which is available right now, was about hitting a snag. And so we had a variety of stories in there about, you know, food related, um, but how um, different people sort of hit a a snag in a career or their process. Um, In in the food tech space, we call that the pivot. This is sort of the, yeah. (laughs) Um, So one of these examples, um, this isn't exactly a pivot, but the one of the first stories that we did was about Valerie Lomas, who won the um, most recent season of The Great American Baking Show. And uh, she's brilliant. She's a woman of color. And she was obviously really excited about the win and then found out that her season was not going to air because one of the judges was accused of sexual misconduct. 
So here we are. There she is. Terrible. So talking about that, um, that was uh, a a snapshot back to an episode of Dana Cowan's show, Speaking Broadly. We also had in there um, another baking story, Alison Roman's shortbread chocolate chip cookies going viral and what that did to her. Um, And then we have a story about the founders of McKellar Brewing Company, which is an incredible Danish brewery. They just opened up a brewery in New York as well. They have a running club. And that started because the founders of the brewery uh, found that they were uh, they used to be really fit, and then they started a brewery, and they started so to get a it's little bit fat. Off the couch <laughs> to five k to the pub. Exactly. Well, it's actually I think yeah, it goes. Uh, it's sort of full circle, but just uh, entwining your whole your whole life. But this is sort of the variety of stories that we're telling. Some of them are fun. Some are serious. So, meet in three. Once a week, if you only have like an hour to listen to podcasting, you should subscribe to Tech Bytes and then meet in three. So that's 45 minutes plus 15 minutes. It's a perfect hour mm-hmm. of food news. Exactly. If you think that you have a great story or a tip or a thought about meet in three, reach out to them with an email ideas at meet and spelled out A N D three spelled out T H R E E dot. N-Y-C. Get in touch with them. They're very interactive. They would love to hear from you. Um, And go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Subscribe. Leave a great review. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that covers it. Yeah, I think that's about covering it. Thank you all so much. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. And I hope you love the show. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about... The next generation of delivery tech with Checkmate and EpiFruit. So stay with us after we hear from our amazing underwriters. This episode is presented by The Green Grape a family of three businesses on Fulton Street committed to supporting small-scale farms, celebrating seasonality, and delighting their customers. Order local pasture-raised meats and cheeses to pair with their selection of fine wines and spirits, and they'll deliver to your door at no extra charge. From great local gifts to providing all you need for a delicious meal, The Green Grape offers truly special and hard-to-find products created by New York's community of local makers. Support independent grocers and visit their website to learn more. Greengrape.com. That's G-R-E-E-N-E grape.com. This episode is also presented by the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, a vibrant and supportive community of professional women who work in all areas of food, beverage, and hospitality and come together to network, learn, and share their passion. Membership is only open once a year, every spring, So now is the time to join. The deadline is Wednesday, May 23rd. Visit nywca.org for more details. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Are you a startup entrepreneur in the food tech space? Do you have an idea or a favorite app that you love? If you do, get in touch. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to us on social media at TechBytesHRN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or you can send us an email, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. Today, we are hearing from some co-founders who are building tech for restaurant delivery tech. I was doing some research on the internet this week to get ready for the show. 11% of restaurant sales are now in the delivery space, and experts say that that will be growing. Last year, restaurant delivery sales totaled about $43 billion. That's billion with a B, and they expect that it's going to go to $76 billion in 2022. Panera Bread just launched a delivery service. Uber Eats is the fastest-growing app. 
Grubhub is valued at $8.5 billion. I mean, delivery is a big, big space. And as Steve Case often says about the internet, the first phase is you build the internet, and then the next phase is you build on top of it. And I kind of feel like that's where we are with delivery. We have the delivery services, then we went to delivery apps. We have consumers who are really engaged and used to and want delivery as they want it. So clearly that industry and service is growing and moving along at a nice pace. And now we have the next generation of delivery tech, which is basically companies building to service the services. So they're two kind of different, uh, they're in two different spaces, sort of addressing two different sides of the coin. Checkmate is a company that basically integrates all of the delivery service POS feeds into one POS feed. What listeners probably don't realize <laughs> is that if a restaurant offers seamless Grubhub, Uber Eats, you know, DoorDash, and all those different services, each service comes with its own system, its own hardware, and its own ticketing. So you can imagine sort of one restaurant that has a mission control of delivery with like five iPads set up to deal with five different delivery services. And that can be very cumbersome. So Checkmate is a company that's designed to sort of integrate all those systems into one system to make it easier for restaurants. So Michelle, why don't you tell us how, how was it that you actually arrived at that as a service? Sure. So we started this company about two years ago. I started this about two years ago. This was not the first idea we had. Uh, we were developing mobile apps to pay and split your checks in restaurants. But one of the things that we found very early was the number of systems that were present on every restaurant's counter. It resembled a Best Buy more than it resembled a restaurant, right? So we said, there's no way on earth we are putting another tablet on the counter. We need to integrate into the POS. Having built that pipeline over, I would say, 12 to 14 months, just trying on different ideas, this is where we saw a real pain point. That you mentioned uh, 11%. In New York, we are seeing upwards of 25 to 30%. If, yeah, that's if absolutely correct. And in, in SF and Chicago and in, in Miami, which means a restaurant was built with the idea of four walls and a ceiling. And they said, wow, my food is going to be consumed here. But one-fourth of that food was going out the door. But to manage that, that was incremental sales. But to manage that was turning into a huge problem. That's where we arrived at the idea is we have all of these sources. How can we funnel that into the one central point of sale system? And what we always tell the operators is don't think about it as going to your POS. Think in the very basic terms of this these tickets printing directly in your kitchen printer. That's the way we always position and uh, present it. Is if you have a, like you said, every service has their own tablet, right? So a Grubhub. So I was speaking to a couple of investors and we were presenting our product and they're like, wait, 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 but why does anyone need your product? Because when I order from Uber Eats, my food just arrives, <laughs> right? So the, 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 the actual problems that are being presented behind the counter is not very apparent. That's something that I think I stumbled upon, I lucked upon, I learned. So you say that you stumbled upon it. Are you the only company out there providing this service with this idea? Is this a new growing category? Do you have competition? Sure, we have competition. And there is uh, one other company that provides an integration into the POS. There, is, uh, there are a couple of other companies that consolidate all of these services into another tablet. So they don't go into the POS, but they put it in a tablet, which I think is, is as valuable, at least you're cutting down on the number of tablets. Our focus was getting into the POS, getting an integration. That is the hard part. We are basically transcribing, we're basically translating rather uh, from one system to the other. So when an order comes in from Grubhub, it's in a very different format than what the POS is used to. That's literally our job. We translate, right, from five different systems so that when the ticket prints out in the kitchen printer, the chef, the cooks, they don't know, they don't care where the order came from. And that brings about a huge sense of efficiency in how they operate their kitchen. 
we thought that was something that was really worth tackling and and working upon to to streamline the overall uh, management of delivery within the restaurant space. So once you have the ticket coming out in the kitchen, you have the food made, it gets packed up and it gets ready to go. Right. Restaurant operators will tell you, we actually had a, a restaurant, the founder of the uh, company Just Salad was here. And he said one of the most difficult employee category groups to manage are the delivery people. Right. So what also I think consumers aren't necessarily thinking about is all of these services and all of these orders need actually at this stage of the game, a physical person to come to the restaurant, pick up the food and physically take it to their location. We're not quite to drone delivery yet. <laughs> so EpiFruit is an interesting company. And I think the easiest way I would describe it, and I'm sure many people do, and perhaps you do in your pitch as well, is it's basically like an Uber for delivery people. I would think it's more like Uber meets Seamless in the sense that it's on-demand delivery, which is Uber pretty much, but it's seamless because you as the customer, the end customer is the person placing the order and this product was built for the business, the restaurant, the retail shop, the office, and they're placing the order of, okay, I need this pen delivered 10 blocks away. They get to determine who their driver is, what the price they're paying, and they have open transparency throughout the entire process. Because they get to pick, it's more like seamless because they're going through a bunch of different options and picking what choice fits them best. So, I mean, I, I hesitate to go too close to a seamless model. When I think about seamless, I think about the New York City scenario where seamless has over 6,000 restaurants on their site. And if you want to be on the first page or a top listing, you need to pay additional percentage points. You're paying percentage. Seamless is great for customers, restaurant customers. Um, Seamless is not great for restaurant businesses in many cases. So, I mean, when you say it's like Seamless, are you talking about the the pay-for-play and like all those kinds of things? So the way I look at it is that the business is like the customer that comes on to Seamless and the menus and the options available are the drivers available because the drivers get to bid on. So then the drivers have to pay to come up in the listings or? the, The best way to put it is that when I put a job out, it goes out to a 20 block radius, which is equivalent to one mile. And people get to bid on jobs that are to their needs and to their wants. So when a job goes out on Lyft or Uber, they have an option where they have to hit yes or no, and they don't get uh, information pertaining to where the job's going or uh, what the job is at all. It's just like, this job will be about 40 minutes. Do you want to do it? Yes or no. And if you say no, then they send you less jobs. So pretty much it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to have to say yes. In our instance, we don't have anything like that. And it's open transparency of what the job is, how much money you're going to get paid, and if you want to do it or not. And the best part about it for our drivers is that they get paid 90% of what they bid on. So for instance, if I bid on a job for $5 and I get accepted by the retailer, I make $4.50 for doing that job, which is, you know, kind of unprecedented in this market. The only people that the only platform that I know of that gives 90% to their drivers, uh, I believe, is Juno. But it is a system where you would potentially have drivers trying to undercut themselves and drive the price down to get the job, though, right? I mean, it's an open market. That's It's a true marketplace. So ultimately, you know, people are going to bid according to their needs, but I don't anticipate like hundreds of drivers congregating in one area, it's, determining price, and at the same time, determining, okay, I'm going to just undercut everybody. I think people are going to do it based on their needs and wants. And ultimately, you know, it's not our job to determine the strategies of how people place their prices. Our job is to create this marketplace where people can communicate effectively and there's open transparency. It's a a true and free exchange. And to your point earlier, we can't do much to um, avoid collusion, but um, we don't see it happening, to be honest, because people want the the right jobs for them. And I don't think they're going to band together to, to rip off each other or the company. So when you created EpiFruit, who's your, who's the initial, um, Who's the group you're solving the problem for initially? And when you described it, you talked about someone picking up a pen 
or a pencil delivering it within a 10 block radius, which is not restaurant deliveries. So that leads me to think that this is something that's built not specifically for restaurants, but as a delivery model for other industries as well. I mean, the best part about this product, it could be universal. It could be for paperwork. It could be for food, which, you know, the product was really built for uh, brick and mortar mom and pops, whether it was restaurant, whether it was wine shops, whether it was just general stores, because ultimately where the market's headed this is the most important thing in the Manhattan market. In, in I would think just uh, uh, big cities, this is a big priority, which is convenience. And, you know, if you're not doing that, then you're losing customers to online sales. And, you know, with Amazon becoming so huge now, having uh, brick and mortar shops with Whole Foods, creating their own shops, they're going to have the ability pretty soon to deliver to you on the hour. And, you know, if you're a retailer who put his life's earnings into a shop, you're going to say, okay, I can't compete on selection because Amazon's got everything you can ever think of. I can't compete on price because they're going to be cheaper than me on every level. Uh, You know, they have the name. What can I compete on? It's same hour delivery. You can get product to your customers that they're buying online within the hour where they might get there within the day. So do you think that this is a service that restaurants would use sporadically um, outside of the existing restaurant delivery channels? You know, services like Caviar will deliver your food for you. Uber Eats comes with a delivery component. Um, Do you see this being sort of like a one-off when something comes in and they need an immediate sort of urgent courier service? Or do you see this as becoming a permanent you know, full-time solution for restaurant delivery? I think it definitely can become a permanent solution if you choose choose for it to be. I think um, ultimately the way it worked with Postmates is it took them four or five years to become where they are now, where, you know, they had to kind of convince retailers that this is going to work and they're going to get them orders and this and that. So I think it's going to take time because it's a new industry in the sense of we're not bringing them the demand. You know, what's different uh, about us is we're just servicing the business and the business has to create the demand for us to come and pick up the product. Whereas with Uber Rush, with Postmates, the end customer is creating the demand and Postmates is putting all the pieces together to make sure it happens. So I think this product is useful not only for a long-term solution, but for anything. Let's say I needed to move, you know, we work with a customer right now and they they have multiple shops and they move product from one shop to another and they use us for that. Um, they, uh, you know, they ask us to deliver their groceries. They ask us to do a lot of different things pertaining to deliveries that we accommodate. And I think, you know, that's one great thing about us is that we're there for the bu- the business's needs. The business is the star, the lead role in our eyes, and we're just kind of assisting it in any way possible. So you are there for the business, more so or less so than for the drivers. The interesting thing about your business is that, you know, oftentimes with uh, startup companies, it's very clear to see what the what the benefit is to the end user. So in this case, the restaurant, obviously, great. You can call up a you know delivery. You pick somebody. You get a great price. It's out the door. Fantastic. You require a pool of drivers in order to make your product viable. Whereas Checkmates, once you build the technology, you can just hit a button and scale from one to you know a million fairly easily. Um, I, if my engineer is listening, he wouldn't be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, we are very fortunate to have identified this problem and to be able to do it like this. For example, we are live with a couple of restaurants in Canada and in Australia. So to your point about scalability, yes. But I think the, the responsibility part of it, that we have now, we are now working with over 600 different menus. Right, so to, to translate each of those menus accurately into the POS is something that we take deep responsibility for. If something's gluten-free, it cannot be attached to a non-gluten-free, you know, simple things like that. 
So I think yes, the scalability part is there. We are live in about 275 locations now across the country. We're processing about 11,000 orders a day, hitting about 350,000 orders a month now. Um, it, it gives us a great satisfaction. That's something that we see every night, like, okay, how many did we do? And the, the comfort that we provide to the operators right now is great. But I, I just noted something that you'd mentioned about uh, Seamless. It's a very interesting, uh, I think it's universally accepted that no one likes Seamless. Seamless is not good for the restaurants. Yeah, there's a, there's a small percentage of people who are a small percentage of businesses that like Seamless and Seamless is very successful for them. There is definitely right. a, a group of right. restaurant people who it's fantastic for their business. Right. On the flip side of that, and one of the sh um, early shows we did in 2015 was our delivery service is bad for restaurants. And I had two independent restaurant owners in New York City come in and speak anonymously about all the different delivery services. And in essence, basically Seamless was a game that they felt that they were obligated to, to participate play. in yeah. um, because customers wanted delivery mm -hmm. and that the fees that Seamless charge between you know 12 to 25% per order was basically eating the margin mm -hmm. that the restaurant would have. So, you know, there's a very poignant moment with one of the owners where I said, okay, so what's your profit margin? And he said about 15%. And I said, what does Seamless take? And he said 12 to 25%. And I said, so how do you make money? And he said, I don't. Yeah. And I said, so why do you continue to use Seamless? And he said, because he feels obligated to and because it's in this he guessed that 80% was better than... Nothing. So it's an interesting thing. And, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, somebody made a comment earlier on the show that transparency and, and where things come from. It's very interesting to me that there's a huge generation of people who are very interested in transparency. They're very interested in knowing where their food comes from, who's making it. Is it, you know, organic? Is it raised without chemicals? All those types of things. But they are not interested or less interested are not thinking about if they're sitting on a block ordering delivery through seamless or one of these services to a restaurant that's down the street and they're getting they're not having to pay for that delivery or they're getting a great deal they don't think through as to who's paying that price because it's not seamless it's the restaurant and so, that even though yeah. you know people are willing to pay for the convenience but part of paying for the convenience <laughs> is the antithesis to being local and supporting local businesses and things like that. We work with a majority of our customers are local businesses. I love working with them, right? And you're right, you have to be on Seamless. If you're in New York, you have to be on Seamless. If you're in SF, you have to be on DoorDash or whatever, right? My personal view is they're not bad for the businesses because these businesses would not have gotten the distribution that they do right now if mm. it hadn't been for Seamless or DoorDash or Uber Eats. Mm. <laughs> you know what I think? I personally think that it's okay to be on these on these platforms, but to be dependent upon them is very bad. Like, you know, I went to a restaurant in uh, Lower Manhattan recently to talk to him about our product, and he had mentioned to me that he gives all his business to Postmates. Even customers that call him to order, he, he tells them to go through Postmates. And I was just delivery. like, yeah. I was telling him that's ridiculous because you worked so hard for those customers. If Postmates one day decides to kick you off the platform, you lose all those customers. If Postmates decides to raise its rates, you yeah. know, where does that leave you? You're basically handing over your customers to this one platform. And if you, if you have one bad experience off this platform, it's so easy for them to change to another retailer on the platform. So, you know, I was trying to advise them, but, you know, people, they've become addicted to the online sales because it's so easy. So the resources are there. there. It's, well, it's know, unreal. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and restaurant people have an have an interesting relationship with technology and the current economic and delivery en environment, they often think they have to be there just because it is the current state of right. affairs for restaurants. But I will tell you, 
Episode 86 with the founder of Just Salad is a great episode. It's actually about they have their own delivery system and they have a delivery mission control that takes care of all the calls and things like that. And there it's a it's a restaurant chain that's built for delivery, so it's you know definitely specific. But at the end of the show, I asked him for advice for you know, entrepreneurs and business people, restaurant people, what's his best advice for setting up a successful delivery system? Mm-hmm. And his advice was take a look at the footprint of your restaurant, take a look at your sales, take a look at your capacity. If you're at 80% capacity on premise, if you're close to 100% capacity on premise, maybe mm-hmm. you don't need to do delivery. Need to. So there is sort of like a break point, though, where I think people... Okay feel they have to, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think, you know, something interesting that you said um, about, you know, Rohan, something you, interesting you said about EpiFruit is that it's built for the small mom and pop to potentially compete with Amazon because of the delivery option. And that's an interesting idea to me. Um, outside of the restaurant space, I think it works a little bit differently when you're talking about retailers who are dealing in like non-perishable yeah. <laughs> goods where it's okay if you have like a pile of t-shirts in the back and you can send them out and, and that's easy. And that does give you that competition uh, potential against something like Amazon. Yeah. Just to go back to what you were saying about uh, whether a, a retail, uh, a restaurant should do uh, deliveries. I wanted to bring up an example of my uh, of a friend of mine. A friend of mine used to be the manager, uh, like the night manager at a restaurant called El Lily, which is in Midtown here. And he had told me that they'd never done deliveries before, but they had to start doing them because their costs of wages had gone up in New York. I think it's eight sixty five is the waiter's tip right now, and it's going to be going up to I think ten fifty next year. And minimum wage in New York yeah. is going to move to I think fifteen dollars an hour. So th- what I'm trying to say is that this is the reason why people are now moving and making sure that they are doing deliveries. It's because they need to create more output for their restaurant, and they have the resources in place to do it already. So this is the only option that a lot of restaurants see. So this was something that was brought to my attention a while back, and I thought was very interesting. It's it's an interesting thing, and to a certain point, yes. But to a certain point, then that, that brings on a whole set of new circumstances, like which delivery system do you go with, the additional you know packaging costs, the product costs, the dealing with somebody on the phone, the stop and start. You know, people who are sitting in your dining room don't want to wait an extra half hour because you're doing, you know, 15 deliveries because it's snowing and it's a Friday night. So there is also, you know, a balancing act and, you know, and also in terms of, you know, where those orders come in from, are you paying seamless 25% for your order and then you have to spend an extra amount of money for the delivery through a, a service like EpiFruit and you have to spend extra money on the packaging and you have to delay your dining room I don't know that that translates into profit at the end of the day. So there's, I think, it's, I think it's, there's a compli- a it's a complicated, very, very messy. I think there's a solution to thing. it. What's happening right now is, obviously, the seamlesses and the Grubhubs have all the power in terms of they have the customers, right? One thing that I find unfair is they request the, they enforce the restaurants to have the same menu prices in store versus right. for delivery. Right. I think that's wrong. Right. And then the restaurant has to pay for the all yes. the all the additional costs and which if, means they're losing the money. If the food is being prepared to be consumed in-house, it cannot have the same price if it's right. traveling mm-hmm. 2 miles. Yep. So I think there needs to be a correction and an equilibrium gained where the platforms educate the operators saying it's okay to increase your menu prices, but let's keep it in check. Let's not increase it by 30%. Let's do something. But I think that is something that will release a lot of tension in this industry because that fight right now is everyone is customer-focused. Seamless says, I want to have the best price for the customer. Uber Eats says best price for the customer. But there are more parties involved in this ecosystem. There's the restaurant. There's the driver. There's the customer. We have to make sure everyone is taken care of so that we can still keep having delivery in the year 2025. I think you were quoting numbers for 2022, right? Right. 76 billion, they say. We may not get there. Oh, if we'll you get try, there. If you try and squeeze a party too hard, 
something will well, explode. It'll evolve. And as we can see from That's companies I mean. like Checkmate and Epifruit, you know, things are evolving. Industries are evolving, building, you know, adjacent and on top of customer right. demand. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, it's a very relevant topic, delivery, and all its technology. If you're interested in learning more, we've done a couple great episodes on Tech Bytes, episode 128, which was about an app called Slice, which is pizza delivery. It's a great company and a great story. Um, episode 111, an app called Gebni, which is discounts for delivery. And that was a great show. We had the founder of Gebni pitch his services to a restaurant CEO. And our restaurant CEO, um, the CEO of Five Napkin Burger, they had a really great conversation about what the restaurant needs and what would work for them and what would make sense. Again, episode 86, Just Salad. I want to thank Vishal from Checkmate for coming in. If you want to learn more about his company, the website is itsacheckmate.com. You can find him on social media at itsacheckmate. If you want to learn more about Epifruit from Rohan and Bulan, they are epifruit.com, E-P-I-F-R-U-I-T. You can find them on social media at Epifruit as well. If you are a startup company and you are pre-$750,000 investment and you are based in New York City, we are doing a second live pitch show with Charlie O'Donnell from Brooklyn Bridge Ventures on June 14th. If you would like to come on the show and pitch him live for some venture capital, send us your pitch deck, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org, and maybe uh, we'll have you on the show. That's all the time we have. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi. This is Tech Bytes. Come back and see us at 11 a.m. on Thursdays. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.